Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm your host, Vanessa Bohm, with Nina Serrano and Julieta Guznir. In tonight's program, we'll hear about the upcoming referendum on Catalonia's independence from Spain, as well as the latest about the dozens of disappeared Mexican students. We'll also hear about Radio Ambulante's live radio broadcast this Sunday at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. And of course, we mix in the very best in music. Be sure to stay tuned at the end to hear an exciting list of events this weekend to celebrate Día de los Muertos. Pero primero, empezamos con Noticias Sin Fronteras. Next, News Without Borders with Vilma V. Buenas noches, this is Vilma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders from America Latina for the week ending October 26. Brazil, incumbent President Dilma Rousseff defeated Ezio Neves by a narrow margin in last Saturday's presidential elections to determine the leader of the world's seventh largest economy. Rousseff's Workers' Party came in with 51.6% of the vote over the Brazilian Democratic Party, which garnered 48.6%. Rousseff promised to unite Brazil, which has been split over the state of the Brazilian economy, allegations of corruption at the state-controlled oil giant Petrobras, and huge amounts of state spending on large-scale world events such as the 2014 World Cup and the upcoming Summer Olympic Games in 2016. Rousseff said, quote, Sometimes in history, close outcomes trigger results more quickly than ample victories, end quote. Rousseff's new presidential term begins on January 1, 2015. Bolivia. Evo Morales was elected to an unprecedented third term as president of Bolivia earlier this month. Morales received almost 60% of the vote, a landslide win over his closest challenger, who received just 25%. Morales is widely seen as successfully combining conservative economics with left-leaning policies geared towards social spending and a redistribution of wealth downwards towards the masses, a political strategy he calls indigenous socialism. Morales dedicated his electoral triumph to Cuba's Fidel Castro and to Venezuela's late president Hugo Chavez. The presidents of Argentina, Nicaragua, Uruguay, and Venezuela all publicly expressed good wishes towards his re-election and his third term as president of Bolivia. Uruguay Presidential elections to replace the extremely popular and progressive Uruguayan president Jose Mujica will be determined by a runoff after last Sunday's voting failed to reveal a clear majority among the candidates. Tabaré Vázquez, Mujica's chosen successor and a former president himself, will face Luis Lacalle Pau from the more conservative Partido Nacional Party in late November. Also, a controversial referendum that would have lowered the age of criminal responsibility for an adult from 18 years old down to 16 did not pass and will not become the law of the land. Mujica's broad front party, or Frente Amplio, retained its majority in the Senate and the Chamber of Deputies, causing many analysts to predict that whoever wins on November 30th is likely to carry forward many of Mujica's left-leaning policies, which remain popular in large parts of the country. Mexico. It has been over a month now since 43 students went missing after being shot at and taken into police custody after attending a rally in the city of Iguala in Guerrero, Mexico. Last Wednesday was an international day of protest for the missing students, which saw over 100,000 people demonstrating in Mexico City and in many other parts of the country. The governor of Guerrero, Ángel Aguirre, stepped down in the wake of the protests, requesting a leave of absence from the state legislature. Police Chief Felipe Flores Velázquez, Mayor of Iguala, José Luis Arbarca, and the mayor's wife, Maria de Los Angeles Pineda, are suspected of being involved with the narco organization Guerreros Unidos. All three people have been missing since the violent incident, which may have started with Arbarca ordering the police chief to intercept the students before they could disrupt a political event organized by his wife. Mexican authorities are offering a reward of nearly 5 million pesos for information leading to the students' whereabouts. 
Cuba. The Caribbean nation is sending another 83 doctors and nurses to Liberia and Guinea to address the ongoing Ebola crisis. This is in addition to the 165 healthcare workers sent by the Cuban government to Sierra Leone in September. According to the World Health Organization, Cuba is now the single biggest provider of healthcare workers to West Africa. Cuban ambassador to Liberia, Jorge Nicolás, said, quote, We cannot see our brothers from Africa in difficult times and remain there with our arms folded, end quote. Cuba has been widely praised for its medical aid to West Africa. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry recently cited Cuba as an example of small nations who have contributed much more to this health crisis than larger, richer nations have. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from America Latina. I'm Vilma V. for Noticias Sin Fronteras. For feedback, email us at larosachronicles at kpfa.org. Noticias would like to thank all of those who supported this station during its fall fun drive. Muchas gracias. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. We are lucky to have on the line with us all the way from Mexico, DF, Mexico City. We have Tania Ramirez. She runs a program that's human rights and peace management. And she also is very active in the group Hijos, which works to address human rights abuses throughout Mexico. Tania, thank you so much for being on the line with us. Thank you. Also, I would like to say hello to you all our Aysanos and all the people the other way of the line. We are lucky to have you here because unfortunately it is very difficult to get information about what is happening currently. We are we definitely have heard many people have been talking about the disappearance of 43 students that were trained to become teachers that were actually getting ready to go to the EFE to honor a important day, a massacre that happened, you know, 1968 and honor the fact that so many students really in their in their fight for improving the quality and of education in Mexico were actually gunned down. And so in this moment, we are struck by this very sad deja vu moment where so many of the students that were involved in the, and that are now disappeared attended schools where many important thinkers and activists that have fought to improve the educational system yeah. in Mexico were, were trained. So Tania, why don't you just give us a rundown? Tell us what has the last month been like? What is happened in Mexico, in Iguala? Yeah, well, here in Mexico it's happening something that it's not new, but it's at the same time quite impressive. We have missed 43 students, as you were saying, students from a little town which is called Ayotzinapa, uh, where uh, it is a, a special school. Here in Mexico we have this project from long time ago that is called the Escuela Rural, which means a school in the country, schools for the poor people, schools in in the faraway places. And this project, we have to accept it, is a project that makes possible for many, many people to have education. As the schools, the institutional schools are in the so big cities or bigger towns, these kind of teachers work like ants. They go to the towns, it doesn't matter how little they are, they learn how to teach, but not also how to teach a primary school, for example, but also in native tongues. They are the memory of the, the languages of our nation, and they teach in these languages, and they go to any place to make their education a real right to the people. So... These 43 students were studying to become teachers, as you were saying, 
And they, just a month ago, the 26th of, of September, uh, they were making some activities to earn some money, to take a bus, to come here to, to Mexico City, and to participate in a demonstration, which is an historical demonstration, the demonstration of the October the 2nd, uh, which commemorates big and massive demonstration of students, which was repressed by the state, and in fact it became a genocide. great number of students at that time were murdered in that context. So these 43 students and many others were uh, doing some activities to have some money, take a bus, come here to the Mexico City uh, to the demonstration, and it happens to bother an institutional activity that was happening with the wife of the major of the town, and it was uncomfortable to the authorities, it was uncomfortable to the wife, and the other came from the state to stop that activity, to stop whatever the students were doing, and in this act, policemen, a group of policemen in, in official patrols, took them. They took them in patrols, which also identified uh, the human rights organizations have the number of these patrols have the name of the policeman, and they took the 43 students and take them to who knows where. And that's precisely the definition of an imposed disappearance, right? So elements of the state, of the Mexican state, kidnapped this group of students and took them to a place that we don't know. So it was as I was saying, the, the 26th of September. So for more than a month, we are still waiting for them. We don't know where they are. We don't know how they are. Are they in jails? Are they in security houses? Are they alive? Are they dead? This is a huge question in, in all the Mexican people. And as, as it is a serious crime, it, it's also called uh, crimen de lesa humanidad, a crime that affects all the humanity, not only this person. Well, all the Mexican society are quite uh, mobilized. We are making demonstrations. Artists are coming together to stand up for these 43 students, uh, the universities, people in the streets, politicians, parties. We are moving as a society, probably as never, probably uh, the, the Mexican society have never been so moved for the enforced disappearance as, as we are now. And even so, we don't know anything about this student still. We ask the governor, we ask the president, and it happens to be like, uh, yeah, like an erasure, like a, a, a huge question where they are. And Apparently, nobody have the answer, but of course they have the answer, but they don't want to give it. So all the people are making this kind of pressure to ask where they are and to present or to achieve the, the presentation of these students alive. That is more or less the scenario in this last month. That's the voice of Tania Ramirez. She is active with Hijos, a group that works to gain accountability and fight for human rights. She's across Mexico. Tania, I know that over 50 people have been arrested. As you said, there's just this has mobilized so many people. And recently yeah. there's news that there were uncovered graves nearby, but the graves don't seem to match. The, the DNA does not seem to match. The forensic records don't seem to match with the yeah. 43 missing college students. With the students still missing, people are risking their lives and are being arrested in huge numbers. What is the next step? What are people on the ground calling for? Uh, yeah, well, that's right. We're founding a lot of graves now, and that's also another tragedy, in fact, because, yes, there are graves and they are digging and they are testing the DNA, uh, trying to match some information. And until now, until this moment, None of these graves have give proof that uh, it corresponded match with the 43 students. So it is a good news because we want the students alive, right? But it's also a bad news because who are those people, right? 
quell those people that are coming out in the graves day after day after day. And it's not like a, an exaggeration and over-talking, but it is right. Mexico right now, it's a, it's a country and a grave. We are the, the most extensive grave in our history. I don't know in the history of the humankind or in the world, but we could dig in any state, in every space of any governor, and probably there will be some some corpse. All the Central American migration have stopped here in Mexico, uh, going to the United States, and some years ago, the, the line, the frontier between Mexico and the United States, it was a tense place, right? The frontier was a line of violence, of death, but right now, that line is all our territory, right? So, yeah, with, with what we are trying to do now is to pressure all the authorities because these days, in fact, the, the first hours and the first days after a disappearance are quite important. The time is, is vital right now. So we are trying to find them alive and in that sense, the claiming for the authorities is try to find them alive. Don't dig in, in graves. Don't dig and dig and dig because that's the kind of hunting that you do when you want to find corpses. So there are other kind of researches, other, other way of working when you want to find people alive. And that is what we are not seeing and that is what we are asking for. That's the voice of Tania Ramirez. She is based in DF in Mexico City, and she's talking about the disappearance of these 43 students that were active, they were training to become teachers, that were going to raise money for a march to show solidarity with the massacre of students that happened in 1968 in Plaza Tlatelolco, and they're honoring the students that were murdered, and in this turn, now they are disappeared in the communities, asking and demanding that they're returned alive. They want them back, and they want them alive. We will check back in with Tania in the future. We want to hear more about the connections between the mayor and the mayor's wife and the Guerreros Unidos cartel and all the, the many ways that the local government in part responsible for this disappearance. Tania, I know that a lot of our listeners want places to receive more information and also want to show their solidarity with the people standing up to ask for accountability and ask for their children to be returned. Can you tell our listeners about Hijos? Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, Hijos is uh, an NGO. We are an organization of child, daughters and sons of a generation that was especially repressed, enforced disappearance is not a new thing here in Mexico, right? And that is why we are also very touched and very moved and very angry because our parents, our fathers, our mothers, were disappeared by this government decades ago in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. We are the generation after that generation, and we fight for the memory, we fight for justice, and we fought also for the no repetition of this crime. And it is quite sad and quite disappointing to live in a country that each and every time repeats this this kind of crimes, right? So that is why we are so close to what is happening in Ayotzinapa. We are very close to the feelings of the families because we know that feel. We have known it from decades, and that is why we are getting close. In fact, this weekend, we are going to be close enough to show the families and to the students of Ayatzinapa some of the messages, some of the solidarity of the people of the world, right? Because, as you know, in in Guerrero, there's not a lot of money. The kind of development that is in that area is quite poor, and people don't have Facebook, they don't tweet, they don't have the media to to know all the solidarity around the world and to listen to the hearts and, and good thoughts of the people around the world. So we are going to act as a bridge. We are going to go there and show them, the, the people in the school of Ayotzinapa and also to the families, all this solidarity around the world. So if you want to send them a message, if you want to send them 
some food, some clothes, well, from the United States it would be kind of hard, but some uh, economical, moral support or uh, even some words, you can use hijos as a bridge. You could find more of what we do and what we are going to do on these times. If you follow in, in Facebook and Twitter, hijos Mexico, it would be with an H, H-I-J-O-S, which means hijos por la identidad y la justicia contra el olvido y el silencio, tiles for identity and justice against oblivion and silence. And we are in Facebook, we are in Twitter, hijos Mexico, and also you could come to our website, which would be www.hijosmexico.org. That's the voice of Tania Ramirez and giving us this update, and we look forward to speaking to you again, Tania. Muchísimas gracias, Tania. De nada, Julieta. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I recorded this interview a few weeks ago about the upcoming referendum for the independence of Catalonia from Spain and the prohibitions against the Catalonian language. Since I made this recording, the Spanish government has banned the referendum and threatened state workers if they work on the illegal election. Thousands of Catalonians have volunteered to do the work of the state workers to protect the state workers from punishment, and this way the election can be held on November 9th. This is the original interview. This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have on the phone Angelina Longueras. She's not unknown here at KPFA because she was a part of our apprentice program for some time, and she's now living in Chicago. Originally, Angelina is from Barcelona in Spain, and we've invited her today by phone to La Raza Chronicles. Bienvenidos, Angelina. Hola, bienvenida. <laughs> Gracias. Well, I wonder if you could tell us what is going on in Spain right now. What I can tell you, because that concerns all the languages, is that the languages which are not official Spanish, which is called Castellano, receive very little respect by the Spanish government. Well, what is your experience with the Catalonian language, your language? Yes, my language is Catalan. That's a different language in Spain. There are four languages. Well, there are even smaller languages, but basically there are four languages, which are Castellano, which is what is called official Spanish, Catalan, which is my language, Gallego, which is from Galicia in the northwest, and Basque, which is a language which is even older than Spanish. And what is the situation for the Catalan language? Well... Catalan language is actually known all over the world by being a language that has resisted 500 years of very enormous attack on its integrity. In spite of the many problems that we have had, our language is alive and kicking. There are many, many books being written in it, novels, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, theater. It's a very alive culture because Catalonia has always been a place where culture has been considered something very important. Has the Catalan radio station been shut down? Well, not in Catalonia. They haven't been able to do that. But certainly in Valencia, because you see, Catalan is spoken uh, not only in Catalonia. Okay, I'll explain a little bit this. Catalonia has four provinces, Barcelona, Tarragona, Lleida, and Girona. But Catalan is not confined to being spoken in Catalonia. It is also spoken in Valencia. 
and it is also spoken in the Balearic Islands and a little bit in France and a little bit in Aragon and even a little bit in Italy. So the radio station has not been closed in Catalonia radio stations because we have our own government and which supports Catalan language and they haven't been able to do that although they are doing everything they can. I'm always talking about the government, not about the people, but they are doing everything they can. But in Valencia, where people who govern in Valencia because Spain is divided in autonomous communities and each one has its own government, it should be much more independent from the central government, you know, like here with the state and the federal, but it isn't. But there in Valencia, they also have a very fascist government. It is the same party as the central Spanish government, which is the PP, Partido Popular, which in fact people call all over the, the state, call Partido Podrido. So you can imagine the kind of feeling that they have for it, because it means Partido Podrido means rotten party, not popular party. And they have closed all, in Valencia, they have closed all the things that were in Catalan, the television, they have even cut the wires so that people cannot get uh, news in Catalan from Catalonia itself. They have cut their own radio stations in Catalan. It's a total war against Catalan language there, you know, and of course, if they could, they would do that in Catalonia too, but in Catalonia, they haven't been able to. Because the government of Catalonia is more progressive? Because the, the government of Catalonia supports Catalan and Catalonian language, whereas the government in Valencia supports the Spanish language to the detriment of Catalan. It wants people to forget about their own culture and their own roots. Basically, and one of the reasons is precisely because in Catalonia there is a very enormous majority of people who want to have a referendum because we are so sick of the Spanish government that we want to become independent. And there has been for years an enormous campaign which continues, a campaign that is directed about having a referendum and letting people vote whether they want to continue in Spain or not. This referendum is going to take place on November 9th. And people will be asked, do you support the self-determination of Catalonia, yes or no? And in case you support it, do you want Catalonia to be independent from Spain, yes or no? So it will be a two-question referendum. And this is, by the way, this is a right that every community has to decide its own future. And it is a right that is in the UN. The UN is actually supporting this. And there's many, many countries in Europe which support this. But the Spanish government is totally locked in a no position. You cannot do that. This is against the law. And, you know, what the Catalans are saying is the law is supposed to respect the will of the majority of people. And it has been very clear that the majority of people in Catalonia want the referendum. So what we want is simply the right to vote, to decide our own future. And if in the referendum the answer is no, we don't want independence, then you know I will respect that. But the Spanish government cannot deny the right of people to vote whether they want to continue in Spain or not. But there is a total war which takes many different shapes, etc. As a noted poet and playwright that you are, Antalina, I wonder if you could tell us what you feel about this, the taking away or the attempt of taking away the Catalonian language, which is the language closest to your heart and that you write in. Well, I have always felt very strongly like uh, any Catalan person feels about their language because ever since I was a child, this was a kind of repression that I was used to here. You know, I was born during the dictatorship of Franco. And at that time, I mean, I could not even study in Catalan. Now children are studying in Catalan in Catalonia. When I was a child, this wasn't allowed because it was in the dictatorship. But thank goodness, my mother taught me, of course, at home I always spoke Catalan, but my mother taught me also to write it and taught me poems and things like that. 
you know, and it, it doesn't mean that everybody was against that. Obviously not. Fortunately, there were many people in Catalonia who came from other parts of Spain and who learned the language. And uh, that has never been a problem. We have always been bilingual. And they are trying to say, as if, you know, Spanish now didn't have any place. That's ridiculous. Everyone who lives in Catalonia uh, knows that they can speak Spanish without any problem. So the problem is not what they are saying. But personally, yes, I, I feel very strongly about the fact that my language, like any other language, deserves respect. And so, you know, I mean, as a child, more than once, especially by people from the official government, you know, or things like that, they would tell me things like, don't bark in Catalan talking Christian, which meant talking Spanish, right? And, you know, Spanish is my second language, but I have every right to speak Catalan if I want to. But the matter of the independence is not only about the language. The language is, of course, a big issue, because you were talking, you know, I was telling you that I, I wasn't allowed to study in Catalan. Nowadays, children are. The school in Catalan has actually received awards from the European Union saying that it is one of the best educational systems in the world. The schools are in Catalan, and this is a, a law that vote, voted the, the Catalan Parliament, and we are talking about our place, and immediately, uh, not immediately, I mean, it has been actually going on for some years without so much trouble, but ever since this new fascist government in Spain started, they immediately made the law saying that the Catalan school law, which which, as I said, received awards from the European Union, was in fact damaging Spanish. Again, lies. Everyone who lives in Catalonia, and there are many Spanish people of Spanish-speaking origin in Catalonia, have never felt discriminated. And yet, they have done everything possible to curtail this law, to cut it. People have demonstrated extensively, etc. And one of the wonderful things about the fact that we want independence and that whether the, uh, the Spanish government wants it or not, we are going to vote, is that there's a lot of Spanish-speaking people who are supporting the independence. So they're accused that, oh, no, 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 this is only Catalan people because they want that. You know, that's not true. There is a, an association called Sumate, add yourself to that, which is in Spanish, Sumate, which are people who say we are Spanish speakers living in Catalonia and we support the independence of Catalonia and certainly support the right of people to vote in the referendum. Well, Angelina Longueras, this has been very, very enlightening, and I look forward to talking to you again here on La Raza Chronicles in November to hear about the outcome of this struggle about language, the stuff of poetry, the stuff of theater, the stuff of radio. So muchas gracias, Angelina Longueras. And one thing, Nina, because I'm a Catalan, <laughs> my name is actually Angelina, because Angelina is in Spanish, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you told me that. Angelina, very beautiful name. Well, muchas gracias. <laughs> De nada. to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. We are very lucky to have on the line with us Daniel Alarcón. Daniel is a co-founder of Radio Ambulante, which has been moving and transforming the way people listen to the radio because it's offering us this wonderful way of hearing these in-depth stories about toda la gente de América Latina, getting to hear stories and perspectives in a, a really unique, interesting way. Daniel, thank you so much for being on with us. 
So, Daniel, we've been following Radio Ambulante for a long time. You all have been growing and evolving. So for folks that are just jumping on and joining the fan club, tell us a little bit about Radio Ambulante. Well, what we do is try to tell Latin American stories. So we don't do news. We don't do um, breaking stories. What we do is kind of in-depth, very well-reported, moving kind of sound stories, you know, the, the kind of stuff you won't see on the cover of a paper necessarily. For American listeners who, you know, know shows like This American Life or Radio Lab or are familiar with that kind of style of narrative uh, audio journalism, that's something like what we do, except we focus on Latin America and on Latinos here in the United States. So Radio Ambulante is made up of a really diverse team of voices and has done a lot of really interesting stories that have spanned all kinds of subject areas in all kinds of countries. Can you give folks an idea, a taste of some of the issues you all have covered and also introduce us to some of the great folks that you all have worked with? Yeah, sure. I'm particularly proud of the fact that we've done stories now, I think, in over 22 countries. So we've, you know, done stories about human trafficking in Tijuana. We've done stories about the fractious relationship between uh, Haitian-descended Dominicans and the kind of mainstream Dominican society. We've done stories about heavy metal in Cuba. We've done stories about, um, you know, uh, rebellious students in Chile, about, uh, you know, artisanal mechanics in Argentina. For me, one of the really exciting things about working with Ryan Bulland is that I get to have uh, just be surrounded by these incredible stories and these incredible storytellers. So, you know, everyone on the team is incredibly talented. Camila Segura, our, our senior editor, Martina Castro, uh, our senior producer, Silvia Viñas, Luis Treyes, and of course, Carolina Guerrero, who's executive director, and, and, and just a bunch of other folks in the mix. It's incredibly exciting, I got to say. The rest of the, my other job, my day job is a novelist, so I don't get to talk to anybody. So as a radio producer and kind of team leader on this, it, it's really nice to, to actually have interactions with people and it helps when they're even smarter than you are, you know. And that always helps. That's the voice of Daniel Alarcón, and he's talking about this incredible project, Radio Ambulante, which has really taken off and built this great audience all over the world. So we're talking about Radio Ambulante, and we're giving people a little bit of a sense of the kinds of stories you cover, and you've described a little bit about the format. But tell us also a little bit more about the use of sound and the types of stories in terms of the storytelling, the range in storytelling, because as you said, it's not news. It's not necessarily going out and getting both sides of of an urgent debate, you know, matched up in under five minutes. So it's hard to walk folks through a radio story, but give people a sense of how this is a little different from what they may expect. Well, we're going out and trying to complicate people's idea of what Latin America is. And we're going out and we're gathering stories that might have deserved more time than they got, uh, but no one no one ever took the time or, or the, the energy or the, the vision, you know, to go to sort of explore them. So l- let me give one example. There was a, a case in Colombia that was uh, in the news for a minute and then vanished. And it was about a woman who was a domestic employee, a maid, who was taken to a kind of wealthy Bogota family, which was very young, grew up in this family suffered all kinds of abuse, both uh, physical and emotional. And then I think 30 years later uh, or thereabouts, she sued her employer um, and won. This case made some headlines in, in Bogota, but no one had really gone and, and sat down with Noemi, uh, that was her name, and, and really heard her story from beginning to end. And then gotten you know other voices involved to help describe that time and describe what she'd gone through, and we did. Uh, Camila Segura, our senior editor, produced that piece. You know, it ended up being a forty-five minute radio documentary about this story. Very moving, very illuminating. Uh, sometimes you know very sad, but but I think ultimately a very successful piece of work. And I should say, not all of our stories are kind of bleak human rights violation stories, you know, but sometimes we do have to tell those those stories as sad as they are. So I agree as someone who's a listener, definitely, you know, people don't have to be prepared that every story will be as intense, but, you know, they all do toy with some of those important ideas that we all struggle with. So a question that I've heard people talk about your show is that it's hard to tell a story that's Latin American, since even though a lot of us believe in the pan-Latino identity and, you know, we love America Latina, each country is so unique, each language is so unique, and translating back and forth, a lot of our countries translate like telenovelas from Spanish-speaking countries to get the accents right, get to get the, you know, the language right. And so when you are telling a story, you know, whether they're Colombianos or Peruanos or Argentinos, and people are using their very specific, unique language, what kind of translation happens at Radio Ambulante in the editing room or in the context setting that allows this story to be more universal? Well, I got to be honest, I think that hearing 
the diversity of accents is one of the joys of Radio Ambulante. I mean, hearing the different ways the Spanish of the Dominican Republic, you know, from a rural area in the Dominican Republic versus the Spanish of, uh, you know, Cordoba, Argentina, or, uh, you know, Tijuana, uh, Mexico, or, you know, all, all these voices, it's just, it's just fascinating. I think that's, that's really the beauty of it. We're very careful that the stories are true to the local accent, but still comprehensible. You know, I'll, I'll give one example. There was a story we did from Peru and... Um, and one of the protagonists used the phrase, Tengo miedo que me haya sacado la vuelta, you know, talking about his girlfriend. A kind of untranslatable Peruvian phrase, which means uh, I'm afraid she might have cheated on me. So how did we translate that? We left it, and then in my narration, I explained that phrase, you know, just very quickly in one sentence. So, you know, we want people to really enjoy the diversity of accents because they're so beautiful, I think. And at the same time, not you know, make sure we don't lose any listeners because of that. And as Latinos, we're constantly translating from so many worlds. So this is something that people will feel very comfortable with. So people are going to get a chance to hear you talk like a peruano, to hear everyone talk in these incredible, beautiful accents live. I'm really excited to be able to tell folks about this event happening at the Yerba Bueno Center for the Arts this Sunday, the 2nd, November 2nd. It's going to be a really exciting event. Daniel, why don't you tell folks about what will be happening? Yeah, the show is called Outsiders, and it is a live multimedia storytelling and uh, radio journalism event. Some of the best producers uh, who've worked with Ara Mulante, some newcomers, uh, some surprises. We're going to have stories from San Francisco, from L.A., from South Texas, from Mexico City, stories from London, from Bogota, from Chile, from Havana. It's just really going to be incredibly exciting, I think, um, to have these storytellers and these producers on stage doing their thing with live DJs, mixing in the music with Martina Castro, our, our senior producer, mixing in the sound. There's going to be an animated short. There's going to be, uh, you know, just a, a kind of real holistic uh, storytelling experience. And the best thing is, you know, if you want to go with your abuelita who doesn't speak any English, cool, she can come. Everything will be translated. All the English will be translated into Spanish. And if you want to go with your roommate who doesn't speak any Spanish, that's cool too because everything that's said in Spanish will be translated into English and subtitles. So it's deliberately sort of planned that way that it's open and inviting and accessible to, to everybody so that everyone can enjoy it. So this is a really exciting collaboration with the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Can you tell folks how they can link up and find out more about the event? Yeah, there's two ways. One is through our website, radioambulante.org. And there you can find, you know, uh, kind of the press release and information about the show, some of the rundown and some of what you'll be hearing. Uh, and if you're sort of set and you're like, yes, I need to know nothing more. I just want to buy tickets. Uh, then you can go to ybca.org slash radio dash ambulante. Uh, it's a little bit tricky, so I'll repeat it. ybca.org slash radio dash ambulante. And tickets are only $20, which, you know, is basically free. If you're feeling really, uh, really spendy, there are uh, $100 VIP seats, which include two signed books, both of my books, actually. A tote bag, which is, uh, you, know, you know, part of the public radio tradition here in the United States, so we have to have a tote bag. And uh, a, a really beautiful Radio Ambulante t-shirt. And uh, if you haven't seen our logo, Go check it out on our website. The T-shirts the are actually pretty nice. So um, it's, uh, and you know, the, the extra money goes to help fund the project. And I know a lot of folks are already listening to Radio Ambulante. It's also plays here at our local public radio station. It plays on KALW, which, you know, even though we're KPFA, we also love KALW. So I know people are already listening, but how do folks stay up on Radio Ambulante and listen to all these incredible stories? You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can download our podcasts uh, on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. You know, we kind of use all the digital tools to, to keep up with our audience. We're pretty active on Twitter, at uh, Radio Ambulante. And I think we even have a Facebook page, but I, I hate Facebook, so I don't ever check it. But I think it's there. It's uh, facebook.com slash Radio Ambulante. You know, most people follow us on Twitter or, or just listen to the podcast. You know, once you sign up uh, on SoundCloud or on iTunes or whatever, it just comes right to your phone or right to your desktop and, and you can take it with, it with you wherever you want. And people can hear stories and also catch up for on all the stories they have missed if they are new. And we really recommend our listeners that oftentimes they want to hear the stories on the ground. They want to hear that in-depth story where really you get to get get to know characters and really get to build a relationship with different pueblitos or ciudades all over the world. So we really recommend folks 
tune in to Radio Ambulante any which way they prefer. And this event, which is happening this Sunday, is a wonderful opportunity. It's a rare opportunity to get to see Radio Live. You know, a lot of people think Radio Live, how is that even possible? But it is really fun and the energy and the excitement and the uh, the adrenaline and also the community that comes out of that is really powerful. Can I add just two things? One is a lot of people who listen to us are, are learning Spanish. And if you go to our website, we have transcripts of all the pieces. So if you're someone who whose Spanish is good but not terrific, uh, not fluent, but you want to listen and follow along, you can totally do that. And uh, and we, we recommend it. A lot of teachers I know are using Radio Murante in the classroom precisely for that reason. The other thing that I would mention for people who are planning to come out to the show, uh, I know it's Day of the Dead in the mission, and uh, you can make the show and totally be in the mission by, you know, before eight o'clock. You won't, ha- won't have a, any problem with that. That's why we set the show early so that people could still go out and do, uh, do the Day of the Dead festivities in the mission, which I know are always a lot of fun. We'll probably be heading there after the show too. So we'll see you in both places for sure. And what a great way to share with your family and friends, hear stories from all over America Latina and get a chance to possibly even meet some of your favorite radio personalities from Radio Ambulantes, radio storytellers. So thank you, Daniel. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, and please keep us posted on future events. I will, for sure. Thank you, Julieta. Our wealth of musical talent, there are a few that are entered for consideration in this year's Grammy Awards. For Latin jazz, Marco Diaz for the album Life Notes, Jamie Duberly and Orquesta Dharma for the album La Clave del Gumbo, and Ritmos Unidos for the album Ritmos Unidos, and finally Raul Ramirez for the album Con Zapato y Todo. La Raza Chronicles listeners may remember that we offered Raúl Ramírez's Afro-Venezuelan CD, Con Zapato y Todo, for a thank you gift during the recent fall fund drive, and it is still available on the KPFA website, kpfa.org, for your donation of $60. So if you didn't get to donate during the drive, you still have a chance to support KPFA and La Raza Chronicles for a few more days. Con Zapato y Todo is a hot item on its way to a Grammy nomination. Muchísimas gracias to all who donated. Con zapato y todo, muy tempranito, viene mi gente a trabajar. Con zapato y todo, viene a trabajar. Buscando la prosperidad. Luchando por un futuro mejor Tempranito viene mi gente
vamos, pues. ¡Toma ahí! for La Raza Chronicles Community Calendar. Soma Arts Cultural Center presents Visions at Twilight, Dia de los Muertos 2014, the 15th Annual Day of the Dead exhibit. The exhibit is dedicated to Chata Gutierrez, Maya Angelou, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Holly Schneider, and those whose lives have been affected by evictions. The exhibition and programming are curated by father and son René and Rio Yanez. Using traditional altars and multi-dimensional contemporary art installations, the Day of the Dead exhibition provides a way for artists and viewers to embrace the beauty of life and to honor the spirits of the dead. This display runs through Saturday, November 8th. The exhibit and all related events take place at Soma Arts Cultural Center located at 934 
Brannan Street between 8th and 9th Streets in San Francisco. Gallery hours are Tuesday through Friday, 12 to 7 p.m., Saturday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sunday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. For more information, visit SomaArts.org. Other Dia de los Muertos events are being held at the Oakland Museum, the SF Davy Symphony Hall, Lobby, and the Mission Cultural Center in San Francisco, among other venues throughout the Bay Area. Also make sure to check out KPFA's very own Avacha, who is hosting a Dia de los Muertos poetry reading on Sunday, November 2nd at 5 p.m. at the Cafe Leila in Berkeley. Featured will be popular poet Jim Martin and Nina Serrano of La Raza Chronicles. And last but not least, make sure to check out local musicians and groups Bomberas de la Bahia, Beforia, and Raji, who will be opening up for the popular Jarabe de Palo. He'll be playing in Rocapulco in San Francisco on Saturday, November 1st. For more information, go to rocapulco.com. Hope some of our listeners will have a chance to check out some of these events. Feliz Dia de los Muertos from La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like tonight's program or would like to hear past programs, check us out on soundcloud.com. Make sure to also like us on Facebook so that you can get more information about news, arts, and culture in the Latino community. Stay tuned next week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. para más noticias, arte y cultura con un sabor latino. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.